You're listening to SuperPod, the no-filter MSP show presented by SuperOps.ai, where we go behind the scenes with today's top MSP owners and experts and get to know what they are really doing to evolve their business. Welcome to SuperPod, the no-filter MSP show. I have a very interesting guest today. I think it's ideal I can call him the industry veteran, a legend of sorts, who has spent nearly two and a half decades in the MSP space. He has experience in working and designing sales and marketing programs for MSPs, MSP vendors, distributors. If there's one person who's seen it all from all vantage points of an MSP, it's Ryan, the principal consultant of Morris Management and co-host of Killing IT Podcast. He was recommended by us to one of the previous guests, Dave Sobel. So welcome to SuperPod, Ryan. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me on. Awesome. Awesome. So just to take the introductions to the next level, tell us a little bit more about you. I'm sure everybody in the MSP space are aware of you, something which they don't know. I want to know something more that I am who the world doesn't know. There's an awful lot. As you know, I like you mentioned in the introduction, I've been doing the business of technology and being a solution provider advocate for about 25 years now. And it has taken me literally around the world and to all different marketplaces. I will say the thing that I enjoy the most of all is actually going to the world. As we've discussed before, I travel a lot with work and I I enjoy Europe. I enjoy India, China, all over the world I have traveled. And and I will say probably at least 50% of the reason to go anywhere is to enjoy the food. And I will absolutely include eating Indian food as part of that process. To travel there is fascinating, but to enjoy the food is an even better reason to go. Absolutely. So this is a question then, right? So how did you find the food, Indian food here versus the food which you had uh, back in the place? Did you, did you find it similar or was it completely? Uh, very, very not similar, but I will say enjoyed immensely. I was told many years ago by a friend from the United Kingdom that if you want to enjoy the best curry in the world, it, you should go to England, not to India. And after I went to India, I told him, nope, you're wrong. It's infinitely better. And the variety in India is, is so much better. Plus, much more spice than you will get anywhere oh, else. Price and flavors. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. All right. So the obvious question, right? So this is a question which pretty much I asked every guest here at SuperPod, right? So the COVID, the pandemic changed a lot, right? So at least we are seeing some light in the end of the tunnel now, but things have changed. The way we operate has changed. And there has been good learnings and there has been some struggles, right? So if you were to, from your vantage point, if you were to say, what is the big change you've seen in the MSPs during this pandemic, what would that be? Yeah, I agree with you. Everything has changed. And I can honestly say, I don't believe that we will ever go back to the way that we were. There will certainly be things that open back up eventually. There will be new and interesting ways to engage with our customers and to deliver value, but it will never be the way that it was before. If there is one significant thing that I can say has changed for managed service providers, the good, well, let's say there's a good news, bad news situation, right? The good news is that because everyone is remote, because all of our clients have been forced to rapidly reorganize their basic business operations to do what they do from someplace else, 
that makes the natural value proposition of a managed service provider significantly more relevant, right? The basic definition of what we do for a living is we will manage your technology and business systems from someplace else. Well, as soon as we are someplace else, the customer has to embrace that distance connection and the lack of face-to-face interaction. For many customers, that has been very, very difficult. The pandemic has made that absolutely mandatory. And as a result, managed service providers are in a better position than ever. That's the good news. The challenging news, the flip side of this that I think has changed is that there are very many very good technology companies who thought, well, the market moved and every customer wants to buy the things that I am selling. So naturally, as long as my technology services are good or better than anyone else, that means that they will come and find me. And that absolutely has not happened. And the emphasis going forward where I see that the real competitive basis will be, it's not just in the tools that you have, it is not in the technology services that you can provide. It will be your ability to find, engage, and sell a new customer opportunity. That is not what our industry has historically been good at, right? We have been brilliant at technology. We have, I will say across this space, right? What you guys do, what other new technology vendors have done. We look at the operational challenges. We write new software. We invent the technology systems to run our businesses more effectively. That's great. Like that has been absolutely brilliant as an industry. But what we have not done is invest a similar amount of effort in the ability to market, to sell, to engage customers and actually sign new contracts. Right? Yeah. That I honestly, if you look around our market, the last six months should have been significant growth for yeah. every managed service provider. If your business has not grown, it's not because it's not valuable. It's because we haven't sold it. Well. Sold no, I think it's really well said, right? There are two problems. One is retaining your existing customers and other is getting new customers. And mm-hmm. if at all, you're going to get new customers, it's investing in marketing. And the challenge is marketing has to be tweaked for the current problem. We can't do events anymore. We can't like go and have a pizza and a meeting. We definitely have to change the way we have to market content, be personalized, creative ways of reaching people. I think that's been more of a discussion in what I'm hearing, right? So it's a very good point. Like, we are not marketing ourselves. And that's been our Achilles heel for the whole uh, MSP space per se. So can I, you are a marketing guru. So I just wanted to also check with you, like, what do you recommend? Like, what are all the techniques people are using during this time in winning and acquiring new customers? Sure. And I will say again, there are very good news stories here because there are tools that have evolved in the last five to 10 years that make the marketing process significantly more digital and significantly less expensive, right? So to begin with, it does not cost a million dollars to do this kind of marketing and customer acquisition. There are digital tools that begin with social media, networking platforms, not just 
you know, it's not just going to LinkedIn or whatever your local platform might be and looking up people's names and sending them emails. It is being a digital citizen in those kinds of social environments where you belong to groups, you participate in the conversation, you are a contributor of new ideas. And then on that platform, when they know that you understand who they are and what they do for a living, they might actually take a recommendation from you. But that has to be backed up by the one-to-one digital remote selling capabilities. I will honestly say, again, good news here is that the telephone is still phenomenally effective. (laughs) Email is still by far the most efficient marketing tool that we will use. But if it's just me calling you or sending you an email and following up with a phone call, that's not going to cut through the noise and the clutter. It, it has to be an integrated digital marketing and selling program. It begins with your presence, the digital citizenship where you participate, and not just in communities about technology, right? It is, in my experience, we get much more effective connections when we belong to the communities that our customers belong to, right? If you sell to manufacturing companies, if you sell to professional services, financial services companies, if you sell to healthcare, you should belong to the online communities Mm -hmm. where healthcare professionals go, where financial professionals go, right? Be where they are, participate in the conversations that they participate in. Yep. Make sure they are aware of you, but then you have to do that very tactical individual sales follow through where we have to have lists and names and contacts and we have to follow up with those people. And frankly, our batting average is far too good, right? To borrow a sporting metaphor, I think that the typical MSP thinks, well, my services are solid. My offering is valuable. I know exactly who my target audience is. Therefore, I should go out and have a meeting with a customer. I should issue a proposal. And at least one out of two of those should say yes to me. That's, well, I mean, if you do get one out of two, congratulations, that's great. But it's not sustainable. And what it says to me is that we're just not having nearly enough initial conversations with customers. We need to be in front of five to 10 a week. We need to be in front of 20 to 100 a month. And we have to be able to churn that kind of quantity so that we can identify the customers that are willing to pay for value and not just looking for an inexpensive option. Absolutely. And I think even the market is growing. So there is a term, right? TAM, target addressable market. I think it's this pandemic in a way has created more opportunities for MSPs. IT are facing more challenges. They need a hybrid model where MSPs and IT go hand in hand. Then the opportunities are there. As you said, we just need to be in front of them and not just go with these are the services I offer. This is how I am equipped to do. Then look out for newer challenges which ITs are facing and how I can be of help so that I can grow more business. So, yep. and I also agree that this season has actually brought in more business comparatively mm-hmm. for MSPs, right? So what is your take on this newer opportunity, hybrid IT and 
distributed workforce like wh- how do you think this will pan out pre and post pandemic see i think again i w- like you i think that is a new challenging opportunity but it's extremely good news right that is access to a much larger set of customers who themselves are larger right and both of those metrics matter a lot here there are you know, historically if you think of the typical msp and what their target audience has been like the average size of a customer is between 5 and 25 employees we target the the very very small customer segments those customers are fine there that's great and there are hundreds of thousands of them out there but each one of those contracts is reasonably small right because the number of users the number of devices are small the pandemic has caused a serious new level of awareness with corporate IT that if you think of this right the typical company that has say 100 to 250 employees historically they would have two to three people in their IT department and they would be responsible for maintaining the core company network at the headquarters facility and maybe a failover site and perhaps a second geographic location right they maintain a data center they have assets in the cloud they are responsible for keeping up two to three network operating centers now in the pandemic world where all of our employees are working remotely and then we have business operations that are much more geographically diverse and then we have more assets that we've put into the cloud that same IT department of two or three people is now responsible for managing somewhere between 100 and 250 network nodes that all require monitoring and failover and all of those continuity practices as well as all of the security mm-hmm. that shop of 2 to 3 people doesn't have a fraction of the capacity to do that kind of work and maintain quality of service see i think you said the the correct word here it's not just that people are working from home it is the deliberate strategy of distributed workforce the idea is it's not that you are remote to me it is that location is pointless right like i i can do what i do as a business and location is irrelevant yep that is true for you know i can have my marketing people share leads with sales sales can you know work with the back office to sign contracts we can onboard customers we can deal with customer service and it doesn't matter whether we are located in Seattle Washington or in India or in Europe or anywhere in between now it is it's not new right i've been working from a remote office myself for 22 years now right i haven't worked full time in an office in a long long time i've taken for granted that an internet connection and an airport means i can work anywhere right i can literally work anywhere but this is a an entirely different level of that it's not just that we do conference calls and some periodic interaction it is seamlessly designed business processes that operate irrespective of location and that is that's good for the individuals it's good for the organizations but 
it's actually a tremendous amount of technology work that needs to be done. The IT of our customers, you know, historically we have said, well, if I target a customer that has 250 employees, they will never outsource their entire IT operation to me. That's not my target customer, right? I want to be the IT department. They'll never do that. I'll never sell that large. <laughs> Hybrid IT gives us an opportunity to say, you focus on the business applications, you focus on your core data center operations, let us be responsible for the network and connectivity and all of that continuity stuff. Those companies, well, think about it this way, they are cutting budget, they're dealing with the same recession that we are, they won't be able to hire more staff, they don't have nearly enough to support what they're currently doing. And now we're asking those corporate customers to support hundreds of simultaneous real-time video connections with continuity and seamless business processes. Our customers cannot do that. That's a phenomenal upside opportunity for managed service providers if they know you exist and if you can go there and have that sales conversation with them. That's brilliant. Actually, very well put, as I I said, large size customers and you can be an extended arm and not just take over the complete IT, but still coexist. So I think mm-hmm. that's a very good. And I also saw you use a word, high cost clients. Like That's very interesting. Like, Do you think high cost clients, how will we know who are our high cost clients? When is the right time to have or fire a high cost client? That's the constant challenge, right? There is a difference between good revenue and bad revenue. There are some customers that no matter how much they pay us, it's not worth the energy or the suffering that's required to sustain those customers. I think it comes down to there are three different factors, right? There's the the operating complexity. Do they use our services in a way that is natural for us to support our customers the way that we tend to operate? Or do they require custom configurations? Custom is the enemy of efficiency. And so it will always be better if a customer uses our services the way that we're good at doing them. The second is the financial aspect, the actual, you know, the cost of doing the business for that customer and the price that they pay, are they profitable on a raw calculation of the number of hours and the tools that are required to support them? But then there's that third factor of the intangibles of do they respect the service that we provide? Do they actually think that what we do is valuable? Or are they just looking at us as an inexpensive plumber who does just the basics that are not strategically important and they want to reduce our costs as much as possible? Are they easy for us to work with? Are they financially lucrative? And do they respect the work that we do? You can measure all three of those pieces. If you have a customer that pays you a lot but is too much customization and they don't respect the work you do, it sincerely doesn't matter how much they pay you. They will be too expensive, a high cost customer. We need to be very deliberate that we're seeking the right kinds of customers who want to buy from us for value, right? Not, Not just for discount, but for the value that we provide. 
The only way you can find those people is to cast a wide net. As we said before, from a marketing and sales point of view, if you only talk to one or two new customers, there's a very good chance that one or both of them will be low value, high maintenance. They don't respect the work you do. If, however, you are in front of hundreds of potential customers, of those hundreds, 10 or 20 of them will be very high value and they will respect and they will pay you for the things that you do. You cannot pick out from the surface, from the outside. You cannot tell who's going to be an ideal customer. You know, you identify by profile, you engage based on that ideal configuration of companies that are most likely to value what you do. But then you actually have to go and talk to hundreds of them so that when you find the ones that say, that's fantastic, I just, I I want what you do, but I would like it for a discount. At that point, you just need to be able to say, no, thank you. That's not what we do. We're going to move on. Exactly. The, The only way you can earn the privilege of being able to say, no, thank you. That's not the customer I want. You actually have to talk to many customers to be in front of them frequently. That's brilliant, right? So to know your ideal customer profile and it's okay. Sometimes it happens where you onboard, but realize the fact that this is my strength and this is where I want to expand my business, but don't go above and beyond just to please one customer. Mm -hmm. Well, and see, there's in the managed services business, there's been kind of a tug of war between those two ideas for many years that I, I want a customer that is standardized, that is absolutely configured to my ideal profile versus anybody who is willing to outsource their IT and then we do custom work and we figure it out. The industry has been very aggressively leaning towards standardization. My challenge with that approach is I agree. I think standardization is important. It is valuable and it is efficient, but standardization is also the opposite of adaptation, right? Like if we are rock solid committed to our standard set of tools and processes, we only work with customers who use the systems that we use that we only support one backup. We only support one operating system. Well, What that means is that when new tools come down the market, when new solutions emerge, when customers have new needs, we say, well, that's not standard. That's not what I do. So I'm not going to be able to support those things. Too much customization equals chaos. Too much standardization equals dinosaur. And you get left behind by the marketplace. In order to stay relevant, you have to be willing and able to deploy new services. You have to be able to bring new capabilities and support new technologies. Otherwise, the market will simply find someone else who will support those new technologies. Absolutely. No, exactly the new technology, right? So topic of adopting new technologies, cloud adoption is not an option anymore. I think we are all past the point of discussion that distributed workforce Cloud adoption, obviously digitalization and cloud adoption is happening as we speak. What mm-hmm. about the next generation adoption? Like we are talking about IoT, AI, and all these kind of things. Should we use those adoption as an opportunity to 
equip ourselves to win more business or do you think we'll wait and watch and see how the market evolves and this community will adopt yeah, i mean certainly there will be we are very early days in the world of iot and there will be evolution but i think that is the future of our industry if you think of the traditional footprint of an msp the, the classic microsoft stack right from the server os to the network to the storage some basic business applications most msps are going to stay with the core of the systems the network and the endpoint devices we will manage those assets and provide security for them but within 3 years that technology expenditure will represent a small minority of the total spend that our customers have whether it is you know basic systems like building heating and air conditioning the physical security surveillance and monitoring sensor based applications with specific devices even just within the structure of buildings and our physical facilities those kinds of systems they have an operating system they have a network connection they should be monitored and managed right. by an msp if there is a device that is connected to the customer's network that we are not responsible for well a that's revenue we're not capturing yep. but yep. b that's vulnerability those things they impact network traffic they impact quality of service they will obviously be a security question yep. if all of those things are being deployed and we are not responsible for those technologies well we will be responsible for a smaller and smaller piece of what our customers spend money on i am just looking at this simple arithmetic right the typical msp customer 25 users they will have 2 to 4 servers they will have 2 to 3 network cores that they are responsible for they will have somewhere between 25 and 30 endpoint devices we will typically monitor and manage fewer than 50 total devices with that customer in the next 3 years as we look at the iot environment of sensor based technologies and, and yeah. network connected endpoint devices and as you look at industrial it automation ai the manufacturing side of our world those are operating technologies that will in a typical customer organization of 25 users where we typically get 50 devices to monitor and manage those customers will have somewhere between 250 and 500 connected nice. devices obviously a sensor based device an endpoint that is monitoring the uptime of a surveillance camera in the lobby of a building you don't charge as much for that yeah. as you would for managing a server so, obviously mm-hmm. yeah but just the raw economies of scale here indicate that if you are only managing 50 of my devices and i have 500 network connected endpoints that are actually needing to be managed yep you only manage 10% of my needs and i'm going to work with somebody who can manage all of it i yeah. i don't want to have to manage 10 different suppliers for all of those assets i need somebody who can do that i do believe as you know as you indicated 
machine learning and data science multiplied by artificial intelligence and automation multiplied by sensor-based connected devices, we are about to see an explosion of the number of things that ride on our customers' networks. If they're not paying you for it, they're going to pay somebody else. Somebody else. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That is, as you said, 50 versus 300 devices. We are already leaving too much money on the table. It's about how you land and expand and the means of it are going to be adopting these kind of technologies and changing our ways of uh, doing business. That's yeah. awesome. All right. And I have a surprise rapid fire round. Excellent. Which is more, <laughs> which is more about you and your productivity hacks, your personal pet peeves and knowing more about you. So your interests and things like that. So are you ready? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So what is your biggest MSP pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is MSPs who discount their services. When we sell on discount instead of on value, I think that that's one of our biggest, most common challenges as an industry, and it is entirely voluntary. Every discount you give is voluntary. You could always choose to say no, but... Nice. And I think I know the answer for this. Windows, Linux, or Mac? I am a Mac-based animal. I have been Mac-based since 1987. And while I have sold very many servers and PCs in my life, I have always personally operated on a Mac. Nice, nice. What is your biggest productivity hack? Like now that you are also working from home and what would be that your productivity hack which you can recommend to other industry experts? Absolutely. I'll say two because... Prior to the pandemic, the biggest productivity hack that I operated on was to be locationless, right? I have done consulting sessions and sales trainings. I have hosted webinars from literally every time zone on the planet and nobody ever knew, right? Like I could just be anywhere, anytime, and I could integrate my work with my life and enjoy the travel without having to take time off of work, right? Now everybody is living in that world, so it's not so much a productivity hack. That's real life at this point, right? We all had to adapt to that. These days, I would say that calendaring is my single most important productivity hack, where historically, you know, if you have a meeting, it's on your calendar, whatever. I came across a few years ago, the philosophy of time boxing and the idea of, being able to classify the work that I need to do into certain categories and then proactively schedule those things and then complete the work within the time allotted as opposed to allotting the time based on the amount of work that needs to be done. That philosophy, it's one of the internal principles of agile development and operating. But that, to my mind, is the single biggest productivity improvement. Instead of saying, well, I have all of these things to do and they will take a certain amount of time. So as soon as I'm done with them, then I will be able to schedule something new. You flip that around completely and you say, this is how much time I have. And I have these things to get done. That means at the end of this period, I will be done. And it forces me to not be a perfectionist. It forces me to just get things done and then move on and then come back and do it again, right? But time boxing is a, uh, that is a calendaring philosophy that I would highly endorse to anyone. 
Nice, nice. All right, so if you were to give one piece of advice to an MSP who's starting up now, what would that be? If you are starting your business now, I would say that the best thing you can do is to begin with a sales plan, right? You can partner for technical expertise. You can hire capabilities as you grow. You can expand your technology staff as necessary. But if you don't begin with a sales philosophy and people whose job it is to make many sales calls, your business might be ideally configured. You might have the best services in the world, but nobody will know about those services. So you're going to be all dressed up with nowhere to go. So my advice would be, if you are a technical professional who wants to be an MSP, your very first hire beyond yourself should be a salesperson. Nice. That's brilliant. All right. So being a consultant, right, you you would have had a vacation, what we call as where we travel for work, but it's a nice place. It's good to go work in that country. So which is your favorite vacation location? That's an excellent question. And I have, I think it's impossible to pick one as I've worked over the years. Like I said, I've I have hosted a webinar from a small table underneath a bridge in Venice, Italy. I've done sales coaching sessions with customers from Paris, France. I have been all over. I will say that the places that I have been to most frequently, most voluntarily, where I choose to go back, it's either London or Paris. And those two cities, it's, it's kind of impossible to tell the difference. But again, it's the combination of the location and the food and high-speed internet connection. No, London is my favorite city too, so <laughs> can't argue there. <laughs> All right, so I have a last question. So if you were to nominate a guest on our show, the next guest, who would you nominate? You know, that's a great question. I sincerely think that we need to speak to end users. I would think that the very best guests that we could have on these programs would be somebody who is a customer who's making these buying decisions, right? Like we spend a lot of time talking to our peers who make and use technology. We spend some time talking with business experts and sales consultants. We don't spend nearly enough time talking to uh-huh. end customers. And and I think that it's a great education when you get out of your own bubble into the world of the customer and you are forced to say, well, what I'm talking about in technology, that's not the most important thing. What matters most is that customer's business and how we can affect them. I would say, let's put together a group of customers and actual decision makers who don't know anything about technology and ask them what matters to them. Absolutely. You know, we are doing that set of, we are bringing in all vantage points, customers, influencers, vendors. So the whole idea of SuperPart is to get everybody's perspective, everybody's point of views, and without any filter, discuss it. And whatever you take out of this podcast is up to you. Like we're just trying to be the mediators and getting the information. Absolutely. Awesome. And you've been amazing, wonderful. I can't believe the time flew so fast. We're supposed to do just 30 minutes, but I think the conversation was like just five minutes. It's an honor to have you in our podcast and looking forward to have you again in future. Thank you so much for being part of Superpower. Absolutely. Glad to do it. Thank you very much for having me on. I look forward to talking again. Thank you so much. Have a great day.